Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Off the Beaten Track podcast. How you doing? I'm Stu Wiffin. I'm your host. And it's another day. It's another episode. And we've got another great episode for you today. I think you're going to love this one. So today's guest is Simone Marie from Primal Scream. You hear that? Primal Scream. And Soho Radio. So I think it's probably safe to say that we're going to have a pretty decent conversation about music, right? I'd not met Simone before and she was an absolute pleasure to meet, a real joy. Um, And we got on really well right from the off and hopefully that will come across in this podcast. Um... Smashing Chat, great song selections, although a downside of this is Simone couldn't pick one track for each question. Generally, on average, chose about eight for each one, which which was great, in fact, because it meant that we could just kind of explore all avenues of her musical tastes and... And and then obviously everything in these podcasts and, and your song choices are significant to different parts of that creative journey. So yeah, it was an absolute joy recording this one. Um so before we get on to it, um big thanks to the Hoxton Square Bar and Kitchen for letting me record this podcast there. Um big thanks to seventy six for producing this. Much love to all my brothers and sisters at the Distraction Pieces Network. Massive love to the daddy over there, Scroobius Pip. Thanks to my name is Ad for doing the artwork and oh before we get on with it just quickly if you like this and you're interested in hearing musicians and DJs talking about their creative journeys in music have a look in the back catalogue because I've chatted to loads Screw Block Party Mark Moore from S Express Alan McGee like there's 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 a big stack of stuff and there's loads I've not mentioned so go and have a little look in the back catalogue there. And also, if you do really like it and you want more than your one episode a week, then I have a Patreon. And over there, I put out another show each week as well. Uh, And there's also Off the Beaten Track merchandise, blah, 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 blah. The quickest and easiest way without me having to keep boring you about all the other stuff that's available is go to www.offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. And it's all over there. Links to the social medias and everything. So you can go on there and you can follow us, like us, tweet us, share us and all that malarkey. You know the drill, right? So I don't think I've took a breath for about two minutes. So it's a prime opportunity now for me to shut up and introduce today's episode. Please enjoy 
Off the Beaten Track podcast with Simone Marie. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So, if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It me, stew with him. Right, we're recording. It's um, it's about midday. It's uh, quite a nice, crisp, sunny day in 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 Hipsterville, and we're at the Huxton Square Bar and Kitchen. Thanks to those guys for letting us record here. Sitting opposite me today. It's my Marie. Hello. You all right? Yeah, I'm great. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, <laughs> You're okay. This is the second podcast of the day, so I'm warming up Just now. waking up a little bit. Yeah? Yeah. Are you, are you like, yeah. like Elaine? You're not an early riser? Um, I, I'm not like a 6am, 7am up at the crack of dawn yeah. kind of person. I tend to stay up a lot later. Yeah. But um, no, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I'm not like getting up at two in the afternoon or anything. Yeah. <laughs> One. <laughs> no, not really. Okay, well, we've never met, so this is the first time we've met. Um, yeah, it's great to meet you. I've been looking forward to this, actually. Excellent. Yeah, Excellent. I, I do love doing things like this. You know, it's good. Because I, 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 I talk to people a lot, you know, on, on the show I do about music, but it's good to come in and, you know, think about the questions that are being asked as well. Be interviewed rather than being the interviewer. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, um, I sent you the, the questions over. Um I had to extend, normally I have a couple of pages of sort of um, notes and stuff like that with the song choices. I had to print off another couple of sheets because <laughs> you sent... It's 
so about hard. ten for each one. Yeah, it, it's. I found it really, really hard because they're really good questions. It, it's just purely music-based, and and you you did well to not say what's your favourite, what's your favourite this or favourite that. And I always find it quite difficult to do like the finite version of something, yeah. you know, because your favourite thing changes all of the time. Uh -huh. And when you're talking about music and you know your emotional responses or things like that, it. The backdrop for all of that includes so many tracks, so many yeah. albums, so many artists for different reasons. So I kind of, yeah, I had like 10 choices for each one. So I apologize for that. It makes That's your life fine. much more difficult. It doesn't because <laughs> I understand that. I mean, generally someone might maybe put two. Um, yeah. Let's have a look here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, <laughs> eight. Oh, 11 for that one. Uh, <laughs> Is it really 11? <laughs> I did send you another version of like an asterisk. No, it's probably going to be this one. It's probably going to be this one. I do like the fact that we can have some honourable mentions as well because it opens the it, conversation up, right? There has to be honourable right? mentions, yeah. I mean, okay. I just, I'm terrible at, I think I'm just, I, I find it hard to kind of settle on a decision of yeah. one. I, I did notice that when you <laughs> sent the, the, the uh, Thank you for being so patient. No problem. Uh, can I call you Sim? Yes, yeah. Sim's great. Right, yeah. Sim, track one. The song with the greatest intro. Well, there were two that came mm -hmm. to mind immediately. The, the first one was um, uh, Depeche Mode. It never let me down, isn't it? Um, yep. Because it's got that incredible orchestral operatic, like out of the blue. And when that beat drops. Yeah, and then... Yeah, and um, that is like immediately alarming to me. Have and I you, like that. Have you seen them perform that live? Uh, I've seen that. I saw them live this year, actually, at the O2. They must have done that. They would definitely they would have, have done, done that, that, wouldn't they? Yeah, no, they did do that. And uh, I've got to say, like, I, I kind of hadn't... That was the first time I'd ever seen them, yeah. being such a massive Depeche Mode fan. And um, I just think they're in absolutely incredible form yeah. at the moment. Yeah. There's, there's something about bands that have really kind of gone through all of their you know, upheaval and, you know, lots of drug addiction and, and craziness and mad tours and stuff like and that. And they come out the other side and they're just even better than ever. And we should mention that, obviously, you play bass in Primal Scream. I do. And you wasn't in the band during that time, but they were supporting mode, weren't they? they at the height of yeah, kind of Yeah, they did just in uh, supporting uh, Depeche Mode, yeah. Was it the devotional so. tour and stuff like that? I believe it was the... I think so. I think yeah. so. I mean, it was so before my time. But, yeah. um I was at those yeah. shows. And, How was and, that? Well, they're from where I live. Mm. So they're like everything to us. You know, yeah. you cherish your hometown boys, right? And the club I run, they were the resident band. Like, so wow. they cut their teeth in my club mm. and, you know, in, in the sort of days of new romanticism and stuff. And they just, and they've just got better and darker. And yeah. he's one of the most incredible frontmen ever. He really is. He and really, truly is. Never get the props they deserve. Mm. When people talk about amazing British bands, mm. I think if you looked at the stats for last year, I think they play to more people than Ed Sheeran and, and Godner and Taylor Swift mm. in America. Than, mm. than, than well, I mean, they've had such a long career. Yeah. And they're so revered and they're so loved. And I've kind of, um, I did definitely grow up with them. Like Violator was one of my favorite, you know, <gasps> Personal Jesus and um, Enjoy the Silence. Enjoy the Silence is one of those songs that really jolts me, takes me into the moment I first heard it. 
you know, and that would have been one of the songs, that could have been an answer for some of the other songs as well. Yeah. So, but they have a really special place in my heart. But that's not the answer to the question, is it? I just want to say quickly that <laughs> yeah. Never Let Me Down Again, when they play it live, yeah. it gets to the middle eight, yeah. where the orchestra like builds and builds and builds. Mm -mm. And yeah. Dave Garn will put both his hands in the air like this yeah, and do it. that, and the whole of the audience will just move their I hands shivers. from side to side. I've just got shivers thinking and about it, actually. it's amazing. It's yeah. the big... It's everything that the Mode fans look forward to in the live show is that point yeah. in Never Let Me Down Again. And it, it's so amazing, because in this day and age, there aren't many things that really, really unify people and bring them together in such an incredible, positive and exciting way is when you go to one of those big live shows and everyone is just in the moment yeah. and everyone's happy yeah. and everybody's like turning around and going, this is amazing. Yeah. And that is, that's the magic it's of music right? and the passion that music like brings out in people, I think. Um, but so there was, so there's that, that was one of my choices. Um, but you know, I'm, because I'm such a lover um, and have been so inspired by Prince, and he's such a big deal for me. I I wanted to go with When Doves Cry. What a wonderful record. Was yeah, yeah. And I mean anything on on like Purple Rain really. That that is a big a big album for oh, for a lot of people. And um, I actually went to see Purple Rain at the cinema uh, a couple of weeks ago. I hadn't seen it for years and years and years. And actually, I haven't. It, I, when he died, I didn't want to listen to his stuff for quite died a while. On my birthday. Really? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I was in Austria and I woke up and turned the, on the TV on. Mm. And I was like, no way. Shocking. That's, that wasn't a good birthday. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, that, that's one of the, you know, of all the kind of musicians passing. That's one that I still feel very sort of shocked and upset about. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he's definitely, Prince is definitely music. His soundtrack's my life since I was a kid really like many other bands but um, yeah when doves cry it's just it's such a kind of sexy and sort of unexpected intro yeah. it's got the guitar riff and then yeah. it's him like yeah. and then it just sort of eases on into yeah. that, that kind of lin drum yeah. boom, 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 boom. Perfect. it's just it's just perfect he made so many perfect tracks in my opinion so did the film hold up because it, it's equal yeah. parts shit and brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's not the most highbrow, you know, uh, script concept kind of thing. And he did have this theme of, you know, battling bands and, yep. and the underdog coming up and yep. the struggle with, with the sort of personal home life and stuff and, uh, and everything. But I think to Prince fans, it's, it's just that kind of beautiful moment of, of uh, the eccentricity of, of everything in the 80s, yeah. you know, and things, films that were probably had massive budgets, but you would never know it, yeah. you know. And um, I mean, I, I, lo I loved it because to, to me, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not yeah. the Coen Brothers or it's, yeah, it's yeah, not anything yeah, like that. It's, but it's, um, I got to the end and it's that last scene where he, where he sings Wendy and Lisa's song, the battle that they're not going to get their song in the yeah. set for the whole thing. And then he does it and he turns around and he gives them like this kind of little wry smile. The opening chord of Purple Rain, oh. I just cried. Yeah. And I actually can't listen to that track without just feeling like my heart's being kind of wrenched out from my chest. I, yeah. It does get me every single time. Yeah. And um, I've just got so much reverence for the man. He's, 
he's been a huge musical inspiration to me, huge. And um, I just, he's got, I just love, I just love him. Yeah. So, yeah, when doves cry, and um, it's such a sexy track as well. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of many people who put that much of sexuality and, and eroticism and pure musicianship into their music. Yeah. You know. He was it, the real deal, right? He, he, he really had what it takes. Yeah. Like he, he was it. I remember going to see him in the uh, Diamonds and Pearls tour when I was a kid, and I queued up. You know, when you're a kid, it's like I'm either at the front or I'm not there. Yeah. You know, so I queued up. I don't know. Got there in the early in the morning, dragged one of my school friends there, <clears throat> and um, sat on the steps at Earl's Court until like four o'clock in the afternoon. And then, like, the excitement and the anticipation comes, and you're running, and the steward's going, don't run, don't run. You're like, you walk for, like, three seconds, then you run again. And we got right to the front and um, waited, like, another four or five hours or something. Yeah. And it just it just blew my mind. I mean, I think big shows like that when you're a kid kind of blow your mind in a way that they maybe do less so when you're older. Yeah. But it had such an impact on me, and to see him, like, up close like that as well. And um, I just remember coming away from that, that it kind of did change me, definitely, in a way. And uh, I took it, I, I kind of really just took it away with me, and it's never really left me, that show. But uh, I, I went away thinking, he is music. Yeah. He is music. He's so completely immersed in his craft. And it's, it, it was just the whole thing. It was like... You know, I'm of an age when, you know, seeing Purple Run at the cinema when it come out, mm. and 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 just I thinking, who is this guy? <laughs> Not even Prince. I'm talking about Morris Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, he's just as cool. <laughs> and uh, but then. You know, and then falling in love with Apollonia, obviously. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, there was no shortage crush. of beautiful women, like, were there? I mean, everybody, all the girls wanted to be her. Yeah, I of did. course. Yeah. And uh, he had the coolest motorbike. Yeah. And it was, yeah. And, and the thing is, it was one of them artists that Purple Rain was so big that, mm. that you couldn't ignore it. And it was so good. And it warranted its place, you know, in music then. And then from that, you then can go back and there's so much amazing music that he'd done already oh, yeah and then you're on board then for the rest of the journey which there's a couple of points in his career which i'm not massive on the same i, I agree it's like i mean it's hard to love every single thing an artist yeah. does but you know you you love them and you stay with it because yeah. you you know I, I think i'm not into that kind of oh this band's done that album i don't like him anymore you know yeah. i think I think a lot like, for example, Radiohead, they've, every album they've done has kind of divided fans and people have even jumped off the ship or not. But um, no, it's, uh, I mean, to write an album like that and then write a film to go with it that you pretty much, you know, write and direct yeah. almost all yourself. And, yeah. uh, Writes all the music, plays all the instruments, can dance yeah. like a maniac. Yeah. Like, what, what I mean, he, he kind of turned he kind of turned into a, another art form in a way. My dad used to work for Warner Brothers Music. So at the time, um, when I was a kid growing up, we had, he used to put all those, ma you know when record shops had massive displays in, in Central, like Tower Records would have like enormous space. Mm -hmm. So he would go and do that, like the window dressing and stuff. So we had, like, I grew up with meter squared uh, big installations of Prince Love Sexy in the garage. No way. Yeah, yeah. So all my, all my kind of 
childhood is full of these sort of images, like the big Batman things. And yeah. sometimes, sometimes my mum would pick me up in her old sort of Triumph Herald from school, and then we had this, and it was like really battered, and I'd get like bullied because my, my you know, kids would go, oh, you're poor, your folks can't afford a decent car and stuff, really stupid stuff. Yeah. And, um, and then sometimes my dad would pick me up, and in the boot of the car would be all this print stuff and all these, like, uh, Batman T-shirts, and, all, and suddenly all the kids would go, oh, my God, oh, my God, can you get me one? That's so cool, and all this. But, yeah, especially that Love Sexy album, I just remember seeing it in the garage. Every time I went out there, it was like, there was yeah. prints naked. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Okay. So, for track two, so I'm going to ask you the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. Okay, well, this one's easy. I know I did a couple of uh, tracks here, but the one, the standout one, when I was a kid, my dad gave me this tape. Uh, and of course, like I mentioned, he worked at the, the record label. He would bring loads of music back. And one of these things he brought back was a Motown compilation tape. And um, I put it on, it was like, you know, Smokey Robinson, Otis Redding, and Marvin Gaye. <clears throat> so it was an incredible introduction to stuff like that. And I used to sit in my room and listen to music like, all the time. And I had this big window ledge. I'd put my little crappy little tape stereo thing on and just sit there. And um, there was a track on it by Roberta Flack called The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face. And I put it on. And it was the first time... I ever cried for no reason other than listening to a bit of music. Wow. And I just felt this deep, it, it just did something to me. I was just listening and then suddenly there was tears coming down my face. And, you know, when you're 12 or 13, it's not a lot. It's got to be pretty serious for you to sit there yeah. crying, you know. For no reason. And, and that was that, I remember that moment of sitting on that kind of big bay sort of, um, windowsill and just thinking oh my god this is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard just the weight of that beauty yeah that's and, amazing um, the way she I mean that I mean that's just such an incredibly perfect song yeah and I suppose metaphorically you could it could be about anything it could be about a child it could be about yeah. a loved one it could, it could be about lots of things and I think it's one of those timeless tracks that really can jump every single era because yeah. it's such a it, it's such a human piece of music. Yeah. It's not it, you can't really date it in its genre or its recording method or anything. It's just it holds its own over time. Do you know what? I, this is so lame, <laughs> but um, one of the guys that that won the X Factor a few years ago was from Essex, where I live. Mm. His name was Matt Cardle. And he was in a like, kind of just a guitar band. He used to play the circuit around mm. our way. And then it was like, oh, he's on The X Factor. So, you know, uh, I'm not into them shows. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not for everyone, is it? No, but it was it someone it yeah. that we'd seen about. So it was like, let's see how he gets mm. on. He sung that song. Oh, did he? And it made me cry. Really? Um, because, I mean, it's a, a, just a beautiful, beautiful record, right? Yeah. Undoubtedly. And... Even with all the shit glitz and overproduction and yeah. everything that the X Factor throws at you, just someone singing that song with a little bit of conviction and singing it well mm. just works. Mm. And, and I was literally 
like just sitting there thinking, I'm sobbing at the X Factor. <laughs> Is this a new life? You've got to kind of you know? move the X Factor thing out of that equation, <laughs> haven't you? You're kind of like, I'm just going to park that. But it was just weird <laughs> that you said the way that record kind of like, you know, bust you. And it was like, and it did me, but in a far less cool way. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's okay. It's only going out to millions of people on of course, iTunes. No, I mean, that, that, that to me is the sign of an incredible record. Yeah. And, and like when you say when it's sung from a very genuine, honest place, yeah. it doesn't really matter where, of course. You're it, where it's coming from. But um, yeah, it sticks in my throat, that one. So mm. where was she born, Sim? London. Okay. North London. N-O-R-F. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I was born in like Edmonton, Enfield area. So. So yeah. you said that you, you, your dad worked for a record label. So mm. I imagine, obviously, if he's got prints in the garage and in the boot of his car, there must have been a lot of music. <laughs> not literally. That <laughs> <laughs> would have been interesting. <laughs> he's not quite naked, small. He would have fit. He would have not again, Dad. Give him a break. I mean, he's small. He would have fit in the boot of our car. But yeah. Um, yeah. So there must have been. You must have been exposed to a lot of music growing up, but was there music I, on at home all the time? And I was, because my dad had been a musician for years when I was very small as well. Oh, okay. And um, he was in, um, yeah, I mean, he toured as a guitarist. Uh, he was in a band called The Honeycombs for a while, it, towards the end of their career, and they worked with, like, Joe Meek and stuff. And oh, wow. He, yeah, and he, he did that. He was in another band called Zarabanda and another one. He was on top of the pops, my dad. He was in this band called Violinsky, and they had this song called Clog Dance, and um, he's on that. I, I saw it a while back where they do, um, I, I don't know, they get like a DJ to kind of narrate these oddball selections, either for, for Christmas or for, you know, they do like a 70s or an 80s yeah. or something. And he's on that, like, and it came up, and I was like, oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> and and um, he's, uh, there's like a clog dance, it's like this guy playing an electric violin and a kind of folky, I mean, it's, it's a terrible bit of music. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dad, if you're listening. But he's there playing his SG, yeah. 1963 SG. And uh, that's the guitar that I used to, whenever my dad had gone out, or like, when everyone, anyone was in, no one was in the house, I used to get the guitar and um, sort of go and, you know, just lift it out. And it really smelled of old guitar. Oh, amazing. And uh, I'd start, start playing it and, you know, do the kind of pose in front of a mirror, pretend I was playing with millions yeah. of people. <laughs> But yeah, there was lots of music and lots of vinyl. And I think I'm probably of that, that last sort of generation where our parents did have vinyl and let us just kind yeah. of, you know, go through it all. Um, I suppose nowadays it'd be like, here, you know, have a look through my iTunes, yeah, dear, of dear son. <laughs> of but you know, vinyl's coming back. But yeah. I mean, yeah, and there really was. And my, my brother um, works with bands as well. And... Um, I remember when I was very young, when I was a kid, there'd be like my dad's in the first house where, where I grew up. Um, my dad's band would be sort of coming around and rehearsing, and they'd be in the shed rehearsing at the bottom of the garden. And I'd take in sort of trays of tea and Heineken. It used to be bellowing out of smoke and weed and all this like hairy men in there. Yeah. But I liked it. I really yeah. liked it. I thought, yeah, this is like, a bit of me. I like this. I could get used to this, you know. Yeah. So I suppose that set the tone, really. And now you're in a room uh, with a load of Now I'm men in a bunch of... <laughs> drinking <laughs> Heineken. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've got a few other ones that um, you wanted to, to nod your head to as well, aside from Roberta Flack. 
Um, yeah, there's one, I mean, one of them is an answer to the next, one of the other questions. Um, I'm trying to think what the other... So you, you mentioned True Faith by New Order. True Faith by New Order is, well, come to that in the next one. That's, okay. that's quite a special track for me. Um, You've got Roy Orbison in Dreams, <coughs> oh, Falling by Julie Cruz. <laughs> oh, what a beautiful record that is. Yeah, because I mean, I was from, I was, I was, I'm an 80s kid. Yeah. And so I, um, uh, I, I was from that kind of era when, uh, this, the Twin Peaks, I can't remember the name, yeah. Twin Peaks was on. And that was like the first thing I kind of clicked onto on TV. So, um, that sound, the soundtrack for Twin Peaks was just like amazing. It was a bit brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, Chris and Isaac as well, right? No, that was Chris Isaac. No, that was Wild at Heart, wasn't it? The film. Oh Sorry. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, the the whole soundtrack is brilliant, and the theme tune just really. I remember going out and buying it on seven inch vinyl, and uh, it's, yeah, I just love it. It's a spooky tune, isn't it? Mm. It's so eerie mm. and dreamy, mm. and yeah. I loved all that. I loved the Cure. I grew up with the Cures. In, in not my not grew up with the Cures. Not like they lived in the same house as me, yeah. but like I um. You know, my brother was really into the cure and I kind of got into it for there and like disintegration and kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. And that's kind of spooky music when you're a kid. As disintegration well. is, is, I mean, that's a, that's a weighty record, right? It is a weighty record, but I loved that when I was a kid. Yeah. So it, but I mean, people sort of say it's like a depressing album and stuff and it's a, it's a hard listen. It's like if you're in the slightly the wrong place and, and you listen to like swim in the same deep water as you, yeah. it might tip you over the yeah. edge. Pictures of you at the wrong time and the wrong place could yeah. probably be. Quite a tragic thing to listen yeah, to. Yeah, but then disintegration is yeah. incredible. Like talking about intros, I remember yeah. going to see the Cure live years ago, and they started with disintegration, yeah. and the intro to that was just like yeah. every molecule in your body body is just like kind of vibrating. Oh, they're 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 intros. I mean, Lullaby, what an amazing intro. Yeah. you know, that's just incredible. Well, brilliant video as well. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Tim Pope directed that. I actually right. saw them uh, in the summer at Hyde mm. Park, and it was. It would have been 40 years of the cure or 30? Mm. 40, I think. 82, yeah. It's about that, isn't it? Oh, Sim, honestly, they just played the greatest hits. Yeah. And it was just wonderful. Yeah. S you know, supported by Ride, Slow Dive. I was 20 again. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a perfect day in the they sun. Are, they are an incredible band life. Mm. You know, I think sometimes they, they do actually end up playing for like four hours or something well I've been to a couple of those shows where they wig out a little too much for yeah, me yeah, and yeah. I just think oh uh, okay <laughs> I don't want to speak ill of, of The Cure because they're one of my favourite bands <laughs> but this there was no fat on this set it was just yeah. everything you ever wanted to hear The Cure play it was perfect yeah yeah they, they are they are brilliant so that and then I think The Stooges the first time I heard The Stooges I Want to Be Your Dog was kind of like what the fuck is this? Yeah. You know, it's How like, old was you, do you think? I can't remember. I was, I was a... It was in my teens. It was kind of a similar time that I had the clash. I remember I used to go and, like... Do you remember that? There was a thing on Sundays called... Uh, it was the London Boys or something. I used to go and... Wake up London. Wake up London! <laughs> Wake up London! And I, when I, I, I've been trying to figure out what that show is for ages, so thanks for reminding me what the actual title was. Um, I'd go down on a Sunday and watch, watch this program, because it, it always had like different videos on it. It was really punky, and it was really cool. Yeah. And I had the clash on that. And it was, I had um, London Calling. 
And the howl that Joe Strummer does yeah. at the beginning just set my teeth on edge. I thought, yeah. what is this? Yeah. This is something else. Yeah. This isn't R&B and soul and, you know, and, and James Brown and stuff. This is like spiky and like visceral and amazing. Yeah. And that's kind of the same feeling I remember having when I heard uh, Stooges, I Want to Be Your Dog. Yeah. I just thought, oh, this is something else. Yeah. It's like I've got to, it's I've got to find out what feeling, this is. feeling, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, a, a strange... Yeah. It's, it's almost indescribable, do you know what I mean? But yeah, it's coming from another place. It's, it's, I just found it so exciting. Yeah. Like, so exciting. You know, not to sound really anal about picking it all apart. It's good to kind of like explore it, but you don't want to like overanalyze it yeah, while completely. you like something. That, but. Okay, so for track three, mm. I want to ask you what song reminds you of your time at school? <laughs> There's a few. Well, we uh, can go for them all. There's a few. <laughs> And they're all, they're all um, kind of terrible bits of music, but you can't choose it, can you? Um, the first, probably, um, we all know Mark Wahlberg, he's an actor now, but he is Donnie Wahlberg's brother, who was in New Kids on the Block. I did have a New Kids on the Block phase. We're not going to go into that. That's all right. But um, when I was at school, I, it was like the era of going live with Philip Schofield and yeah. Sarah Green. And um, I managed to get on the programme to be in the audience. How do you get on going live? <laughs> I think my dad pulled a few strings because he was at the record label. Yeah. I, I think it was like through that. And I was, I was, when I was a kid, I was pretty good at writing to TV companies. I, I sort of had a, maybe a good knack of writing to the BBC. I remember writing to the BBC when I'd missed uh, a performance of Terence Trent Darby on Jonathan Ross. And I got a letter back from like the head of programme and saying, normally I wouldn't even bother responding to a letter like this, but you've caught me on a good day. Here's the tape. And I had a VHS tape in the post no of the programme I'd missed. I know, it's, 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 it's crazy. So there's that in the days of VHS. Um, so I was on Going Live and <clears throat> I think... Marky Mark and the Funky Well, bunch. I got to ask him the question. Like They normally have like a question to the audience. And I met Marky Mark and saw them perform, and I met Barry Manilow and, and asked him a question as well. And um, it, it was just, it, the song Good Vibrations by Marky Mark, I mean, it, looking back now, I probably would not put it on, out of choice. What so can for say? listeners that are only aware of Wahlberg as the <laughs> actor, yeah. I mean, he became huge as a pop star, didn't he? It was, like, yeah, before he kind of became a serious actor, um, he and a gin enthusiast. Have you seen his workout regime? He's pretty buff, isn't he? Have, have you he's not actually buff. seen his... No. Has he got a gym? Bananas thing. Really? Oh, you, really? You, uh, when I say bananas, that means he eats bananas. He probably yeah. does. But he gets up at 2 a.m. to train. And Holy then he, he, he's posted his fitness regime. And it's absolutely crackerjack. It's out of choice. Um, yes. It's bizarre. Wow. Well, I guess there's so much so, pressure to look a certain way in there. But, yeah. Have you got the VHS of you ongoing? I have. I, do you That's know what? Amazing. Recently, I asked my mum for it because I'd like to get a few bits of pieces transferred from VHS to digital because yeah. VHS doesn't last yeah. forever. Um, and just because people don't believe me, and it's really funny, and I think my question was... Um, to Manilow to, or Marky Mark? To, well, to, to Marky Mark first. I was so... Not, like, Gordon the Gopher was there. I was so nervous. And... Trevor and Simon were there. Oh Swing your God. pants. I mean, they were like 
going live on a Saturday morning when you know we were kids, it was like the best show of the week. Trevor and Simon were the great. Trevor and Simon they? were brilliant. <laughs> Trevor and Simon were brilliant. Um, and uh, and so they were there. So it was just like kind of your childhood dreams coming true whilst you're still in your childhood, which was sort of cool and all very surreal. Um, and I was like to my friends at school, yeah, I'm going to be on Going Live like, this weekend. Like, tune in. Like, Did they yeah. believe you? What's that? Did they believe you? Probably not. Yeah. But there I was. Um, and I, was, I think my well, I know my question was, if you were invisible for a day, where would you go and what would you do? And he kind of like sat, you know, with his legs out, sort of 90 degree angle, like right on the edge of his chair, and his sort of cap halfway down. And I think he was like, bare chested. This when he used to have his pants pulled up as well, because he was one of the first ones to wear the, <laughs> the boxers pulled up with the, yeah. the, the, the uh, Calvin Klein I thing, think it he? was that era. Yeah. It was definitely that era. And uh, it's like, well, you know, I'd, I'd probably go to the girls' like bathroom or changing rooms and like hang out on the wall and like check out what's going on. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then it sort of panned to Sarah Green's face. <laughs> she was like, right, okay, next question. <laughs> and uh, I was like, all right, okay. <laughs> and, um, and then with Barry Manilow, I think, uh, <laughs> they did a skit where they were comparing the size of his nose to one of the floor manager's noses. And um, my mom was really jealous because she was like a huge Barry Manilow yeah. fan. I had to endure Barry Manilow's music when I, when I was growing up. And, um, but she also loved Elvis, so that was like a counterbalance. Um, I think I said, if you could work with anybody else, like, who would it be? And he just, I think he just gave a joke answer. Yeah. But it is, it is there. She's finding it for me as we speak. I think she's, she's got it. That's so cool. So I, I had, like, mm -hmm. my brother was, had his new kids on the block phase. Um, we'd already started my first band. When I say that, we, we mm. were literally just using B-sides of records that were instrumentals and singing songs over them. Amazing. We, we was all still, like, I think I must have been about 15. That's such a good way of <laughs> doing a band. <laughs> But what we decided we'd do is um, we didn't like Nuki's on the block and we thought yeah. it'd be really funny to um, try and arrange a meeting point where my band would fight the Nuki's on the block. <laughs> so we phoned their record label and obviously we must just You got really someone, went ahead yeah. and like went and so, for it. Um, we phoned their record label and, uh, <laughs> and said... Um, and there was just some really lovely um, lady that answered the phone that probably just worked at the, at the front desk. Yeah. And I was like, um, oh, hello. She was like, oh, hello. I said, um, is this the label that looks after Nuki's on the block? She was like, oh, yes, it is. Yeah. I said, um, oh, good. I said, um, we'd like to have a fight with them, please. <laughs> and she went, oh, they're really rather nice. And I was like, well, we'll be the judge of that. Um, and we literally no gave way. them Gray's Precinct, 12 o'clock, Sunday. Like, told <laughs> them the where, where it was going down. Because they live in Essex. And, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> obviously, they're always coming to Gray's <laughs> And then... My mate was a really good artist, so he knocked up all of these posters saying, on this tape, serious problem, we'll be fighting the new kids on the block. And we bill-posted them all around Grey's. And then I remember, because I was fighting Donny. We, we picked who we were oh, going right. to fight. Donny was like the hard, and, the uh, hard yeah, street kind of guy. And he annoyed me the most because of that. And I just thought, he's not. Because uh, it's like that classic boy band thing where there's like one for every kind of girl. Exactly. Like they were there yeah. sort of. And there was yeah. one for every member of my band. Yeah. So he was like, right, well, <laughs> More I'm, <importantly>. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have a scrap with Donnie. <laughs> and I remember when these posters went up, and then I think we found the local paper as well. And, and obviously they must have just. <laughs> I'm so impressed with how <laughs> thorough. <laughs> they must have obviously just thought, absolute fools. And, uh, and then someone oh. just walked in and out of the room there, by the way, with Ghost. the squeakiest door ever. <laughs> 
pick up some WD-40 on the way out, I think. But as we was walking to the precinct for uh, our, our arranged fight, a little bit of me just thought, shit, what if they do turn up? I love it that you say arranged. It's I reckon arranged. he might take me. <laughs> <laughs> and when we got there, there was uh, about three or four like sort of 13-year-old girls in... Yeah. Um, in uh, New Kids on the Block t-shirts, just just looking wow. very confused. Oh, they uh, really uh, believed it might yeah, go down. Yeah, they must have seen the bill posters. Uh, uh, but yeah, but our answer to brilliant. that was they bottled it. Oh, it's, why is why did I not hear about this before? <laughs> is all I can say. Well, you mentioned before we started yeah. um, uh, recording as well mm. that you'd you'd been on top of the pops pre-primal scream as well. I did, yeah, I've been on twice. I think, um, I, can't, I don't know, I just, I wanted to go on it. Like, it wasn't enough just to watch it on TV. I yeah. wanted to go and see the band. And when you're, when you are quite young, you sort of can't get out to see all the bands. You don't have the, your own money when you're a kid and um, you're too young, you know. So I was like, I want to go and see. And the Top of the Pop studio, for anyone who's been, is absolutely minuscule. Like the is way it? they, it's tiny. You cannot believe when you see it on TV. What it is, the camera angles and the way they position the audience and the way they shoot the, the people on stage is done so well that it looks huge. Um, it's kind of like a reverse TARDIS. But I, you, you apply for tickets and um, I remember phoning. I did just norm, do a normal apply, apply thing. Um, and I got them. And you couldn't choose who, which week you go or um, who you're going to see. And... Uh, it happened to fall on the, the date that Terence Trent Darby was on. And I was a big Terence Trent Darby fan. And I thought he was beautiful and, you know, sign your name. Wow. So I phoned up my friend Paula, Paula Hurst. And she was like one of my best mates at school. And we went down. I got all dressed up. I was like, this is it. And I wrote, a, I thought, okay, I'm going to write a letter to Terence Trent Darby. Wrote this really poetic letter and like how how I really respected him as a musician and appreciated his music. I mean, it was fucking ridiculous, you know. But these are the things that teenage girls' dreams are made of. And uh, got there, did the performance, and I was like, oh my god, because you're so close to them in that studio. What did he sing? <clears throat> um, I think it was "Do You Love Me Like You Say," oh. which is a brilliant track. Mm. And he was like. Kind of, he was dressed in all black sequins, and he had the kind of half short um, dreads at the time. And uh, I think it was like from the album Symphony or Damn. Really yeah. showing myself up here now, no, but no, I, I did. That was like a big. That was he, when he started to come back into the public domain a bit because he, well, he. The second album was the, the Prince attempt, wasn't was it? it yeah, it was. It was Hardline, and then it was neither Fish nor Flesh. That's that it. wasn't. I mean, the first one was such a massive success that the record label like. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Better do it again and you better do it better. And I think, yeah, I mean, it was the same era as Prince and, and Michael Jackson and stuff. And Did you watch the documentary... Uh, about 1987 on BBC the other night, where he was on there. Oh, I don't think I have. And Because uh, uh, he's kind of went to grand, really, didn't he, and changed his name, and he's now known as... He's, he's known now as uh, Sananda S- Matreya, I That's think. Right, yeah, yeah, and he's become deeply embedded in his own spirituality and, and rejected the whole idea of fame and the, the, the cult of personality. And he kind of killed off Terence Trent Derby in order yeah. to survive that and... Um, I think it must be really weird to have been a huge star back in the day. Um, on this thing, they, they obviously talk about him in 87. Mm. And when you look at him, mm. A, he was beautiful, wasn't he? Oh, like, God. And I mean, stunning. His voice was absolutely incredible. Yeah. He could dance. Yeah. And his songs, I mean, what was the lead single, If You Let Me Stay? If You Let Me Stay, Wishing Well. And then the sign your name. Dance little sister. Dance little sister. I, I mean, mean all, all consecutively as well in yeah. that in that wave. And and even after Symphony of Damn, mm. I bought Vibrator. I did buy Vibrator. Yeah. I went to see him live at that that time actually. The blonde years. Yeah, he was. I still I because <laughs> I just I just moved house and uh, I was going through some old stuff. I threw like so much stuff away, but I found the old program. And uh, you know when you go to a gig and you'd have a program. Yeah. I mean, for a West End show, yeah, but a gig, yeah. a tour program, like nobody does it, well, maybe they do, I don't know, but it was massive, it was like A3 size, big glossy pictures, um, you know, pretty ripped body, stripped, uh, very chiseled cheekbones, blonde hair, wings. Oh, he had wings, he? had he? wings. He, yeah. he had wings, so, yeah, I mean... Um, I can it's see why, uh, why, why a teenage girl would have written to him. Yeah. Well, the, I think the vibrate was after. But it was, I, yeah. I just, I don't know. I was just tr- transfixed. I, I thought he was amazing. And um, so the performance is over and he's sort of shuffling around and his product manager just comes over to chat to him and um, the audience is kind of, you know, herded over to the other side of the stage. And I'm hanging around and my heart's going bang, 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 bang. I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I can't give him this letter. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then I go up to him and I'm shaking. I said, hi, I, I think you're really, really amazing. Like, um, so great. And he goes, thank you very much. You know, and he gave me a hug. And I went, I wrote you this. And he went, oh, thank you, thank you. And, um, and that was it. And I kind of just didn't really stop shaking until I went home. And... Um, and then I was just sort of going to bed that night, and uh, I had put my phone number on the. <laughs> I put my phone. I mean, like, what is that about? I put my home phone number on the bottom of the letter, and I get a call. My brother answers the phone, 
And my brother's like seven years older than me, so we always have this, you know, um, taking the piss out of each, each other, yeah. which is never going to end. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And he goes, Simone, Terence Trent Darby's on the phone. And, I, and he obviously knew I'd been that day, and I was like, oh, shut up. And he went, he is, he's on the phone. And it was about five minutes of me going, oh, shut up. So Terence Trent Darby's on the phone listening to this. <laughs> and, um, and, and I eventually got up to say, he goes, he's on the phone. I went, who is it? And he goes, just answer the phone. And I pick up and he goes, hi, Simone, it's Terence. And I went, mm. <laughs> I went, oh, hi. And he went, I just wanted you to, just wanted you to know I'm in, in my hotel room and um, I read your letter and it's, uh, it's really beautiful and I, I just wanted to thank you. And I was like, oh, it's okay. Um. <laughs> and there was like silence. And I just sort of was trying to say like, so... Have you got any live shows coming up? And just a little bit, and then we talked a bit, and then um, I was I was literally he was at Sony at the time, and I was literally the next week or two after I was going to Sony to do my work experience, and um, then I met the product manager that was with Terence, and we met, and we ended up actually like going out with each other, yeah. funnily enough. But um, yeah, that was like my little Terence thing, and then when when I had been at um, Sony for a while. I stayed on a while and did some work there and went to a party and like all everyone was there. Like fucking Robert De Niro was there and all these like wow. yeah, it was like crazy. And then he comes up to me with my then boyfriend, he's like, uh oh, yeah, yeah, I remember meeting you. Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing with him? Pointing at my boyfriend goes, You should be with the star. And I was like, yeah, and I was just standing there going, uh, and I was 16, so I was just like, what the fuck? But yeah, funny, and and, but I know it was like, I think to his own admittance, like he was, he could be pretty fucking arrogant, you know. Which um, I remember reading an article um, around the vibrator time, and. And it was a review of something, and I think it was Louise Wenner from Sleeper. Okay. Uh, said that she was doing a gig, and he didn't go and talk to her. Right. He got his people to go and talk oh. to her to say that Terence wants to <laughs> Such a showbiz move, She's isn't it? Like, no, <laughs> <laughs> oh no! He should have wrote her a letter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she would have called him that night. He left his phone number on the end. So yeah, it was kind of like. I was really delving into adult life whilst I was still at school. So these songs like really remind me of that time when I, okay. I was still at school. And then like the classic Huey Lewis and the news, because it was like the time when the, um, Back to the Future came out and I had my first like showbiz crush, which was Michael J. Fox. He was so cool though, wasn't he? And he was such a cutie. Yeah. He was such a... I mean, he was adorable in that film. Yeah. That film, like, it was actually on the other night, and I saw it again, and I still love it. Oh, it's amazing. And last Friday, I was sitting at, at, at the club I was working in and had a bit of free time, so I was just sitting on YouTube. Mm. Back to the Future, outtakes and bloopers. Oh, I haven't seen that. From the first one. Ah, oh, <laughs> amazing. I love those things. It's amazing. And oh, Michael J. Fox was just the best. Right? Mm. And... and yeah, that, that film. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm no Hugh Lewis in the news fan, but that I'm track. Not, but that it's, track it's just, is, back just to the gets future, you, doesn't it? it? Like, 
I think I don't even know what other I, I know they have that and um, stuck with you. Hip to be square. Uh, oh yeah, I mean like, I, I'm not going to worry if if those if I never hear a, hear those two songs again. But the 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 um the soundtrack, you know the uh, yeah. power of love. It's just it's not that I love it. It just really reminds me of of those. Yeah. It's like fond fond memories. You know. Huey Lewis. I'd love to know how old Huey Lewis was when that track came out. Because I bet he was quite young, but he just looked like one of your dad's mates, didn't he? <laughs> he had that truly kind of 80s, yeah. sort of like sticky up, sort of mullet hair yeah. as well. He just looked like some like a fun uncle. There's <laughs> <laughs> a band, fun uncle. <laughs> fun oh, uncle. Brilliant. brilliant. So, so yeah. what's your chosen track at M3 then? Oh, God. We can put them all on the Spotify playlist, but I, I want yeah. you to, to, to choose one of the three. Um... I think the Tennis Trent Derby one. Do you love me like you say? I'm just like literally back, back there. <laughs> God, <laughs> I wish it was something cool, but it's not. You, no one's that cool when they're when they're at school, are they? No. So. And he was cool. He was super cool. Yeah. Then. Let's not worry about the creepy stuff that come later. <laughs> what the acid sex parties and all oh, that. Oh, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> yeah. I was just talking about the kind of. Um, oh, you mean like the. Uh, singing songs about God and stuff. And no, like no, more, more about the stuff of like get my people to talk to her people oh, and, and things like that. Oh, I see what you mean, yeah. yeah oh, know. when you say creepy, I'm, I always think like, you know, R. Kelly creepy. I no, I'm not like, no, I don't want to, how do you no, define creepy? I should, I should put sleazy. Sleazy. Yeah, yeah. Sleazy. Show, showbiz moves. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Track four. Mm. Track four is the first record that you remember buying. Mm. Well, um, we used to get a lot of stuff bought home. So ah, of course. Yeah. So, like, the some I used to just take what I wanted out of that. I That's think, amazing, right? Yeah, but it wasn't all good. A lot of it yeah. was sort of like, ugh, can't, can't yeah. get anything good, Dad. You know, but, like, I remember that track. So what was he doing for the label? Well, he was, um, uh, you know, the big window display. Oh, sorry, you said yeah. sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. obviously, like, he would have to know, like, what's come out that week yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um but I remember that track by Fuzzbox called Pink Sunshine. Pink, pink sunshine. I remember that being around. And it was kind of like girls, sort of punky kind yeah, of thing. But the first thing I ever put my money down for in a shop was two things. Because that was the age of buying cassettes. So I bought um, Standing on a Beach by The Cure, which is a sort of best of. Mm-hmm. And um, Substance by New Order, which is a kind of you know yep. compilation as well. And those two kind of set me off. And on 
I mean, they're two ridiculously <laughs> cool things to be I the know. first two things you bought. I know, and I, I'm not making that up. Like, yeah. I still have those tapes. I remember yeah. the, the like substance was like a double thing. That's where it was right. like one was red tape, one was a blue tape. I mean, it was like, it wasn't like the big square ones that you put two tapes in, it was like double thickness. Double thickness right? and it yeah. opened like each side, right, yeah. you know, and then you kind of like lift out this little pamphlet that yeah. was all folded up. And um, uh, yeah, and then the standing on the beach was just like the old guy yeah. sort of thing. And uh, yes, so, yeah. But I want to ask about True Faith because you mentioned it earlier and you said it's a very important record. It's, ju it's one of those tracks that um, first time I heard it, literally stopped me in my tracks like the drum beat coming in first and then the synth line coming in and it just blew my mind and uh, the lyrics are so I just think the lyrics are so timeless as well and um, I sat, it's the, one of the first bits of music I sat and I listened to over and over and over and over and over again like because constantly in my room and it's like stop, click, click, rewind <laughs> So, play, play, you know, <laughs> and you know, it sounded so tinny and, and, and awful. But I sat in my bedroom just listening to it over and over and over again. And every time, like, the, I can always listen to that track. Yeah. If it comes on, I'm never going to fast forward it or switch yeah. it off. Or if I hear it in a shop or out or something, it's like, bam, I'm right yeah. there again. It's a wonderful record, isn't it? Yeah, there's just something about, about that track particularly. You know, and, and I love all the other stuff. I do love New Order. I think they're, they're brilliant. But Bernard Sumner, God bless you. Can you remember where you bought it? I bought it in HMV in Enfield Town. Okay. Um, when, uh, I think it, it, or was it our price? I think it was our price. Then it got taken over by HMV. Yeah. I think it was HMV when I worked there as well. Not when I worked there, when I went there. Okay. Yeah. And is that favourite Norda song, True Faith? Yeah, definitely. Yeah? Absolutely. Okay. And while we're discussing Standing on the Beach, favourite Cure song? Oh, my God. On Standing on the Beach, I'll make it easier. Oh, um, well, that's the sort of best off, isn't it? Yeah, but kind of first half of the career, right? Yeah. It's kind of pre-disintegration, isn't oh, it? Oh, man. I'm trying to think. Um, Why have I asked you? Maybe this a question? night like this. You've maybe a, a night me like this. Multiple answers for every single uh, I one. I think a, a night like this or push. Oh, good shout. Yeah, um, I just never heard music that sounded like that before. I couldn't. I, you know, genres don't matter when you're a kid. You don't care if it's cool to listen to X, Y, or Z. But I think one of the great things about the Curies. They don't sound like anyone. Mm. It, it, it's like, that's not easy being a band that doesn't sound like anyone. It's hard to pick out their influences. Yeah. Thing. And that, that's what I like in a band because that's sort of what makes my ears prick up a little bit yeah. when I hear people. If, if something's too derivative, yeah. you kind of go, ah, I can hear the original in it so of much course. that it always becomes like in competition with the original. Yeah. But, you know, they were pretty punky when they started yeah, out, yeah. pretty minimalistic. And I just love how it's, you know, I know Robert Smith is really into like Marla and lots of classical music as well. And, and he, I, I think he's, he's a fantastic songwriter. Yeah. I really, really, really do. And uh, I just love the whole ethereal thing, you know, the sort of fantasy, the magical and the writing a lot as a third person yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. Said, and 
she was there. She was like, I, you know, I just, uh, I love his storytelling and um, I love the people that they work with to convey the rest of their uh, music uh, in, in, in visual and like video form as well. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, I love, I love them. Yeah. So, we're going to move on to track five. Mm. So you've you've bought your records, you've left school. Um, I hope you've left school if you're clubbing. <laughs> uh, and for track five, uh, I ask you um, to pick the song that soundtracked your your years clubbing. I picked Laurent Garnier, Man with the Red Face, mm -hmm. because it, it it sort of never left the scene. I think. Um, I mean, a lot of stuff when I I got into clubbing like when I was much older. I never used to go clubbing when I was eighteen. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, I was probably like well into my sort of uh, sort of early twenties, really. And the people why, I was going why, why clubbing was with—I don't know, really. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I just, I suppose there was uh, there was some like a family breakup and stuff, and, and that had repercussions, and I was kind of just dealing with that yeah. really, and that kind of took over. Um, and I I actually got really ill when I was about seventeen, eighteen, and was um, was anorexic, and and almost sort of died from oh, it. Wow. Yeah, okay. so it took me quite a few years to get back on track, right. you know, without going too much into sure, that. Sure, of course. Um, so. You know, and I'm I'm re now I'm really really supportive of anybody going through anything like that, yeah. and um, and try and help uh, any any charities I can with that. So I mean that's as a side note. So it kind of threw me off of my track, off of my life plan. I didn't have a plan, but off of every, every anything I thought leading up to that kind of changed, and I sort of had to wipe the slate clean and start again. And, and going out and taking drugs and getting high was completely off the agenda because I'd you know, taking myself physically to a place where it was dangerous to be. Yeah, so for me, going out and, and taking drugs felt like a kind of destructive thing in a way. So, I mean, yeah, I got, I kind of got back into my love of music and then sort of joined the, the rest of the world in like the clubbing scene and clubbing culture like a bit later. So when was so this then? Like what sort of time period are we talking? I suppose mid... 90s, okay, early 2000s kind of thing. A bit blurry, really. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I loved. I got into like the whole sort of tech house scene as yeah. well, like clubs like Wiggle, mm -hmm. and I used to go down to um, Yucatec and Endell Street, um, and uh, you know, go down, go down to all those kind of places, and um, yeah. But like Man with the Red Face is kind of one of those tracks that again it sort of crosses the genres. Yeah. And it, it's just such a classic track and it's beautiful and it builds and it's dark and it's sexy and that was the kind of music that, that I really liked. I didn't yeah. like the kind of banging, you know, yeah, yeah. cheesy over the top house mm -hmm. tunes. You know, I wasn't into the whole kind of big Paul Oakenfold, Paul Van Dyke kind yeah. of like thing. So. Yeah, that that would probably be my sort of track that I always reminds me of those days, really. And what did you want from from going out to a club then? Escape, I think. Escape and discovering new music. You know, it was it was a bit like that person who's always asking what that track is and what that, that track is. A little bit, you know. I was that irritant. 
Yeah. Now, now, now you're a DJ, you also... But things you know, are quite welcome in there because mm. I don't think it happens as much. I don't think no. as many people... The podcasts I've done um, previous to you arriving, mm. we sort of touched on this as well, that may, maybe it's just those people that are, are that in love with music that mm. if they hear something, then they want to know what it is. Have and to, like, yeah. I used to sit by my radio at night, like... Uh, especially like when I was more into the dance music scene, I used to listen to that Mr. C had a show on Kiss yeah, thing, yeah. and he was always playing stuff that I loved, and I'd sit there with like, like a notepad and just like writing stuff down or yeah. anything I heard on the radio, I'd have to write it down. It wasn't yeah. the time when you had an iPhone and you could literally type it in and buy it within moments, you know. Yeah. But yeah, always in a in a in like a club, just like. But that journey of listening and writing notes and, and, and then having to go and find it, that made you cherish it more, right? It was really exciting when you actually found it. Yeah. You know, and like reading about stuff in DJ magazine and things like that and going, oh, it's just, you kind of, it opens you up to this whole other world and this whole other kind of subculture that you you wouldn't know about otherwise. Yeah. And it's it's the same with bands and music, you know, everything links onto some, something else. And um, yeah, it's cool. Okay. Track six. Favourite song from an artist from your hometown? Mm. Hometown. Oh, London. You London. live in London, yeah. so you, you've got the world at <laughs> your feet. Thought, for someone oh, God, got does it have to be in North London? <laughs> uh, did I not read the notes? <laughs> so for someone that's got a million and one choices for every <laughs> single one, you've got London. But I think we can't really... I find it... Hard. I mean, there's so many people, obviously, from, you know, uh, from the British Isles. Mm. Um, you can't really talk about... UK musicians about mentioning Bowie. Of course. I mean, he's pretty much soundtracked everybody's life yeah. since since his young adulthood, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and it's very easy to just pick the major classics with him. And uh, I just, I wanted to go with something, well, I wanted to go with China Girl, but it's actually kind of half written with Iggy Pop. And Iggy Pop's not from the UK. So I thought, maybe I shouldn't choose that. I like the fact that you was... You, you dug a bit deeper there. Good yeah, work. well, yeah, yeah. But because um, China Girl is one of my favourite mm. favourite tracks, especially that kind of like chord change in the middle eight, just really yeah. like gets you. But uh, and the little uh, uh, just you shut din, 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 din. What? The little the little vocal he does. Uh, oh baby, just you just shut, shut your mouth. mouth. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit... It's sort of I couldn't bit, do mm. that justice. That's, 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 <laughs> I, as I started doing that, I thought, oh, do you know what? Don't finish that. That's you embarrassing. You couldn't do that now. on record these days. <laughs> no. Man. You really could all sorts of trouble. I think it was like, it's done in such an innocent way on the record, yeah. but actually when you go back and listen to it now, it's a bit like... Oh, oh that's quite sinister. Oh, okay. <laughs> What's your more eyebrow? Oh. <laughs> um, but... Um, I went for, on a Led Insane, uh, the last track, uh, Lady Grinning Soul. Brilliant. I think it's... It's really unexpected that track, that yeah. that maybe that point of his career, and it's such a beautifully crafted bit of music and so beautifully sung. And apparently, it's he does the highest note that he does on a recorded album on that. Oh really? The, yeah. Uh, I can't remember which bit it is, but it's pretty. High. It goes pretty high. Yeah. It goes pretty high one bit, and his vocal delivery on that record is just sublime, and it's kind of. It, he's, he does, it's a record, it's a song that um, shows you another little window of what he's about. It, it kind of gives you a little, another little insight of, uh, you know, another angle of, of music for him. And um, I just think it's a really beautiful track. 
Did you see yeah. him? Did you get to see him? I never saw him live. Uh, likewise. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. My, uh, I had a mate that messaged me once saying um, he'd been out to London just for a drink. Mm. And he went to, oh, God, what's that? The Borderline. No, was it Borderline? Yeah, I think it was a borderline. Mm. Still there. Is it? Still one of the venues that's there. I think it is. Uh, I'm pretty sure it is. Went in there just for a drink and uh, Tim Machine on stage. Oh, really? And like, obviously, you know, no one really wants to talk about Tim Machine too much. It's probably my... Doesn't matter, yeah. David Bowie was standing on the stage singing. <laughs> like, Aaron Maiden to stumble into that. And incidentally, Reeves Gabrels that, that played guitar with uh, Bowie and Tim Machine now plays in The Cure. Oh, so, really? Yeah, I he's, he's been with them for quite a few years now. He's a lovely guy. Yeah? You should get him on. He's very interesting. I can imagine. He yeah. must have some stories. Mm, mm. Okay, well, look, before we get to the last track, let's talk about um, what you're up to. So, <coughs> how did you become the bass player in Primal Scream? <laughs> um, there's lots of, so, I used to kind of make up stories about it, like, you know, I bumped into Bobby Gillespie in Sainsbury's or something, or we both reached for the same pot yeah. of humour. So, but um, basically, um, I got a call one day from a number that I didn't recognise, and um, I, I didn't normally answer stuff from, from people I didn't recognise. And I just thought, oh, screw it, what's the worst that can happen? And um, it was like, hey, it's, it's Bobby Gillespie, you know, um, is, that, is that Simone? And I almost. I can swear on it, can I? Push cam. But I almost went, oh, fuck off. Yeah. You know, I thought it was somebody winding me up. So, yeah. um, and then as he was speaking, I was like, oh, it's obviously him. He's like, well, we need, uh, you know, uh, do, you, do you fancy coming down for an audition? We, um, we're doing some shows in Australia. And I, I was like, sure. And he just asked me to learn like three tracks. And um, I put the phone down and I thought, okay, well, well I'll, it's not going to take me long to learn three tracks. I'll learn like the whole set I'll learn like 30 so about two weeks later I went down and auditioned and um, got it pretty much there and then Amazing. so I played we played through the three tracks and then Andrew's like I kind of gave him a list of all the songs that I had done and he's going right okay well let's let's have a go at all these then so we just went through all of them and um, so this was kinda, post Manny right yeah it was Manny and then it was Debbie Gooch she was touring with them for about right. a year and um, I just basically, it was a good old-fashioned going down and auditioning. Amazing. Yeah. And pre, pre this, what was you doing musically? Uh, I, was in a, I was in a band that was sort of managed by, well, it wasn't managed by him. It was uh, Jim Beach. He used to manage Queen stuff like that. His son, Ollie Beach, had a band and I was doing some stuff with them. What were they called? They were called Yellow Wire. Right, okay. And it was, it was kind of you know, uh, straight up sort of poppy stuff. And um, actually in that band was Aid Meehan, who run, who started Soho Radio. It's funny how things happen. Right. And um, before that, I was just in lots of other different bands, like low-key stuff. Did some stuff for a band called Black Cherry. Um, I was doing my own stuff. Oh, I was so DJing. Come, sorry, how did you come to the attention of Bobby then? I think Barry. I've been Barry Cadogan, who's... Um, is Got to say, one of the UK's greatest guitarists. Little Barry. Yeah, Little yeah, Barry. Yeah, yeah. Um, he probably like, put my name on the table when they were looking for people, and they'd already been look. They'd already had some people in to try out and stuff, and um, 
he must have suggested my name, I think, put my name on the table. And because I was pretty much unknown, they took a chance on me. Amazing. And, um, I mean, the Scream are great. They always do take chances and, and experiment and stuff. Yeah. And um, it just worked out, you know. Yeah. So, and I, I, love, I love the guys. I'm really um, kind of grateful for the opportunity. Uh, and it's been such a trip so far, you know. What amazing bass lines you get to play. I know, I know. I know, and, and I, you know, I've loved their music for a long time, and it's 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 really exciting, you know, to to really love what you play. You're that on person stage. driving killer hippies on stage. <laughs> Fucking hell! That's yeah, ridiculous. my friend Marco Nelson wrote that bassline. Actually, oh. he's written some stuff for for lots of bands, and he's a, he's a very talented musician. And um, yeah, that is an amazing bassline. Yeah. That is pretty Brilliant. cool. They're all great, actually. They're all, I mean, they're fantastic. Bobby and Andrew are amazing songwriters. Yeah. I just watched the, the documentary, actually. Oh, um, God, the Memphis one. Oh, How amazing so is it? It's so incredible. It's so good. I mean, but I know I'm biased, but, you know, that aside, it's such a beautifully yeah. made documentary. Very emotional. Um, and uh, lots about throbbing it oh, as well, which is amazing. I never got to meet Throb, yeah. but I feel through, you know, talking with the guys and seeing that kind of footage you know you get a sense of what a great guy yeah. he was you know and just seeing the joy in their faces when it was it um when they're at the desk and they pull up al green is it al green it was wasn't yeah, it yeah. and like and just seeing that joy it's like that's that's the beauty those, of music those right? are the moments that like really cement your love of music yeah. and really make you realize i guess you're in the right place and um yeah, there's something really amazing as well like about listening to those isolated tracks. I think we've got YouTube nowadays, so you can kind of get a lot of them. But yeah. um, I also like listening to like isolated bass lines by uh, like James Jameson. Yeah. You know, all the stuff he did on Marvin Gaye. It's, yeah. If you've ever listened to those, it's yeah. one finger. One finger he played with. He just really? Yeah, James Jameson played everything with one finger. Wow. Yeah. On these right hands, yeah. it's like <laughs> plain hand. So that's insane. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was his style. Yeah. Um, really, really hard to do when you consider how complicated some of those bass lines were. So you mentioned earlier that your friend in Yellow Wire set up Soho Radio. Yeah, Aid Meehan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He set up that. And so you work there, right? I do, yeah, I do a show there once a week, and um, I was there from the very, very beginning when they were, um, Aid bought in the floor <laughs> in a bag, they bought it like brick by brick, and they were laying it down, and it was just like a complete sort of work site when I, when I joined, and uh, they were putting it all together, and I always liked the idea of having a radio show, I thought yeah. it would be cool, I never wanted to be a radio presenter. Yeah but I loved playing music and talking about it. Yeah. And I loved having... It's the best, right? I loved having an excuse for, you know, being sent loads of music. When I was a kid, I wanted my own record label just yeah. so people would send me all their demos, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and I had the logo and, and the idea for it. And, um, you know, I don't think I'm a particularly great presenter, but I just, I love being able to, you know, listen to all the new music, put it together, talk about it. And through that other people have come to me and gone, oh, you know, I didn't hear this before and you've introduced me to this band and I didn't know that. And that's like, that's kind of the reason I do it. That's what I get a, a thrill out of. So uh, you say that, you know, you don't think you're necessarily, you know, a great presenter or whatever, but mm. I don't think that, I just don't think that fucking matters. No, and neither like, do I. Because really. I've never done a radio show before, right? And I've got a show on Boogaloo now, mm. right? And 
and I, I've got to have Alan McGee on. Oh, he's great, isn't he? He's just amazing. He's amazing. Right? And, um, and, I, and I sat there with him and I said, look, this is only the second time I've ever done a radio show. I'm not very good at it. Like, you oh, know, bless we, you. And, and he was just like, mate, let's just play some records and have a chat. <laughs> and like... Immediately, you're like, oh, this is what it's Because about. I was That's really fine. nervous. Yeah. And I, not, not even so much about that, but I've interviewed lots and lots of people doing this podcast and mm. I never, ever really get starstruck or, or anything like mm. that. Alan McGee was responsible for so much stuff that meant oh, so much to me. Instrumental, yeah. And I, for some reason, I thought he was going to be a bit spiky. <laughs> and then literally, instantly, he was so lovely. And he He's the opposite of what you might yeah. imagine him to be. I think because he was, it was in that, that you know, the, the days of creation records, it was... Yeah. It was pretty debauched. Yeah, I've read the books. I've watched all the documentaries. <laughs> so I was just thinking, right, what? My wife literally went last night because I was, I said, I'm a bit anxious about this one. And she went, last night you was interviewing Alan McGee in your sleep. And I was thinking, really? fucking hell, it's really going really? in my head, this. I was like, and I'm, I'm quite confident with things like this, but this one really made me like nervous. Yeah. And then literally, he was just went, look, he went, it's punk rock what we're doing here. Mm. It's like, and, and the more he sort of spoke to me, the more I just thought, it's so true. It's mm. like, I don't want to be fucking Chris Evans. I don't want to be Grimmy. Do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I want to talk about music with like-minded people mm. that love talking about music. And I think if you swear, if you err, uh, if you um, if you're talking passionately about something you give a shit yeah, about, yeah. then someone's going to enjoy well, it. Well, it's, 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 it's much easier to relate to that, I think. And it's... Um, you know, there's no pretense to yeah. it. You're just like having, it's like this. This yeah. is great, you know, just yeah. sitting and having a chat. And you are great at it, so. Oh, you you're, you're being kind. <laughs> Thank you. Right, last track, Sim. All right. So this is the chance where you have to pick one of <laughs> two, three, four, <laughs> five, one of six. Um, so this is your chance to be a, I a know massive exactly show which off, right? <laughs> you, can, you can pick the one track that you think people might not hear and you can be the educator and the teacher and go, right, listen to this because I think it's great. Crimson and Clover by Tommy James and the Shondells. I don't know this. Tell me all about it. It's a magical, magical, magical track. It's been covered by quite a few people. I think Jane Jett covered it. Actually, Prince has covered it. Okay. Um, it's just one of those 60s tracks that you might not know unless kind of somebody plays it to you. But when you hear it, you feel like you've heard it somewhere before. It's very simple. It's like a three-chord song. And the original one, that one, is it's quite trippy, actually. It's quite psychedelic if you listen to it. It kind of breaks off in certain, certain points and then goes back to the, you know, the, the verses. But... Um, Again, it's like with all these pieces of music, there's something about the ability to stop you in your tracks yeah. and make you so present and, and incredibly in the moment, yeah. which is the magic and the beauty of, of music. It, it, it forces you to be in that moment and be, yeah. you know, whether it's making you think about something or pure emotion. And um, I just love it. You know, I, I just absolutely love it. And um, how did you discover it? I'm trying to think how I discovered it actually. I'm really trying to think. I just it's not, I haven't known it for years and years. Uh, I kind of came across it about five years ago. I think it was on a compilation that I yeah. bought. And um, 
I just thought, how have I not heard this before? Yeah. How have I not heard it before? And uh, I think in this, the way we are now, <clears throat> the kind of boundaries of music have been so bent that anything can be music in a way, which is an amazing thing. This is something which is, I don't know, you feel like you can just come home to this track and you're like, well, this is all I need. Yeah. This is incredible. Yeah. And it, there's the, there's a feeling in this track of, it's got that kind of triumphant, timeless ex sort of ex um, feeling to it. It, it. It's because of the chords that are in it. Yeah. It's it's very kind of it's almost like quite punk rock. It's quite simplistic, but the three chords that are made up of the main part of the song are just the most perfect sort of three chords. Yeah. And um, it's very powerful stuff. I'm not really explaining it very well, but well, it's... Th um, th there'll be a Spotify playlist to accompany this so people mm. can go and listen yeah. and, uh, and, and, and listen to all the tracks that you've picked. And to kind of go back to... Because I think I just totally interrupted you when I was talking about your no. your Soho radio show. So, what can people expect from your Soho radio show? What, what what's the? A lot of it is new music, mm -hmm. and a lot of it is um, I don't know. You can say some of it is alternative. I don't know how you really categorise alternative these days because yeah. if you put alternative in, into iTunes, it just comes up with commercial stuff, doesn't yeah. it? But lots of new music, uh, some unsigned stuff, some really old stuff, like, you know, some old B-sides or some, you know, Stooges doing Jimi Hendrix, stuff like that. So a lot of my own personal music that I've collected over the years um, mixed with new music that I think should be heard on the radio as well that I just want to give some time and attention to and, and sort of turn people on to. Do you do it on your own? Do you so have guests? Yeah, I have guests. Mm -hmm. I plan it all myself and do my own playlists and, and sort of get the guests myself. And um, yeah, I try to uh, I try to get guests that are kind of relevant to the show. And then when they're in the UK, obviously, you know, bigger artists get swallowed up by all the bigger stations. So they have, they're they're here on a promo trip and they don't always have time. Yeah. But they the, the response is usually like really enthusiastic to support something like Soho yeah. Radio because it's it's kind of grassroots and yeah. it's. Um, you know, dare I say the word community, but it, it's really, you know, the thing is ba bands and, and musicians can come on so radio and there's like no time constraints. You know, if you happen to swear, it's okay. Yeah. You can talk about whatever you want. It's it's really laid back. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's I, it's really fun. I like it. It's, it's sort of quite a lot of work actually, but I like doing stuff like that that still keeps me involved in music when, you know, not on tour, not doing shows mm -hmm. um, and I'm sort of doing planning my next project or whatever it's good okay so as we're fast approaching the end of the year what's what's 2019 got planned for you sim got more shows at the scream mm -hmm. some festivals and stuff um i'm gonna be uh, hopefully doing some remixing on some some other bands and is that something that you've you, you've done before and you enjoy no, doing no i'm just getting into it i've been wanting to do it for ages yeah um, I'm kind of working on my own stuff as well, which okay. is, uh, that's just like a, a thing that I'm doing, so we'll see. And then I'm going to be doing some recording for another band on their album as well, doing a bit of vocal stuff mm -hmm. and doing some more session, session-y kind of bass work on some other bands, um, maybe some more DJ gigs, um, yeah, just staying, staying busy in, in all of the facets of music, yeah. bass guitar, dumb. 
Excellent. And, uh, yeah, still doing the radio show as well. Um, how, where, where and when can people hear that? That's on Soho Radio every Wednesday, 12 till 2. Okay, so yeah. if you don't listen live, is it downloadable? It goes is it on, on to Mixcloud, Mixcloud, onto the Soho yeah. Radio Mixcloud, and you can listen to it. It's called Naked Lunch. Okay. And, um, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> Sim, it's been an absolute joy. Oh, thank you so right. much for having me, man. It's been it's been great talking to you. It's, thank you very uh, it's really much. nice to meet you. Have a wonderful Christmas. And you, Merry Christmas. There you have it. What a wonderful chat. Simone's nice, right? Yeah. We got on really well and it was a it was a lovely chat and and we continued to chat afterwards as well. And you know you've had a good podcast recording when you've literally been sitting there chatting face to face for for over an hour and then when you press stop you carry on the chat you know it's good and I hope I hope that kind of thing comes across in the recording um, because it was a, an absolute pleasure to do um, yeah Simone then invited me to appear on a Soho radio show so hopefully we'll be doing that soon so as soon as that's recorded I will um, send it your way as well so you can have a little listen if you're interested um, so yeah I think I'm done Thanks ever so much for listening. Like I say, if you do get a chance to head over to the social medias, give us a like, love, share, tweet, all of that. And it's much appreciated. Thanks once more for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Eat it,